Good afternoon, everyone. In a previous or in previous sermons, we've discussed the history of apostasy against God that we find in the Bible. As I pointed out, this is a thread that runs throughout the Bible as mankind in general has been in a state of rebellion against God since the time of the Garden of Eden. And yet most people, even many most, even if uh, many, if not most professing Christians seem unaware of this fact. And I asked previously, why is this important? Understanding the, the fact that most of mankind has been in a state of rebellion against God. And the answer is that understanding what has happened in the past in our relationships with God as human beings, we can perhaps avoid making the same mistakes in the future as others have in the past. It also gives us insight into the lawless tendencies of human nature apart from the Holy Spirit, and it can help us better understand the prophecies of the future and what to expect in the days leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. And if we want to understand the Bible, we must understand the history of apostasy that is recorded in the Bible. So that's why I'm giving us a series of sermons on this subject, the history of apostasy. And as I pointed out, the words relating to apostasy in the Bible indicate rebellion against God and his laws. And I plan to... Uh, to cover that uh, particular subject in much more detail at some point because it is somewhat controversial what, uh, what the various words in the Bible relating to this subject mean. In previous sermons, I recited in summary fashion an incomplete list of apostasies that have occurred in chronological order, starting with the apostasy of Lucifer on through Adam and Eve and so forth. And included were also the apostasies connected with Cain, the pre-flood world, Nimrod, the Egyptian Pharaoh of the Exodus, Israel in the wilderness, Israel and Canaan, Saul, Solomon, other kings of Israel and Judah, the false prophets of Israel and Judah, the people of Israel and Judah in the era of the kings, Jewish leaders and the populace under the influence of Antiochus Epiphanes, Jewish leaders at the time of Christ, false teachers and apostates among the New Testament church, false teachers and apostates in the Dark Ages following the New Testament era, false teachers and apostates in the Middle Ages and in the eras since the Middle Ages and in the future, and future in this age, as well as after the millennium. And all of these and other apostasies are referred to in the pages of the Bible. Today I want to pick up the thread of the history of apostasies where we left off with the last sermon, with the captivity of Israel and Judah to foreign nations as punishment for their persistent rebellion against God. And as I mentioned in the previous sermon, the northern kingdom of Israel, consisting of ten tribes, was sent into captivity at the hand of the Assyrians, culminating with the destruction of Samaria and the deportation of most of the remaining Israelites into the area of Media and the areas near the Black and Caspian Seas in 721 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was also attacked by the Assyrians at the same time, but God saved them from being completely conquered by miraculously intervening for them and slaying the Assyrian army as they were at the gates of Jerusalem, as recounted in 2 Kings 19 and 2 Chronicles 32. So the kingdom of Judah was spared from captivity at that time However, the people of Judah did not remain faithful to God 
but under the leadership of evil kings and unfaithful religious leaders, they rebelled against God and his word sent by faithful prophets like Jeremiah. So we read in 2 Chronicles 36, 2 Chronicles 36, beginning with verse 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, and he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. So notice that the king of Judah, it says, stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to God. And it goes on to say in verse 14, Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to, to, to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the walls, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So God gave Judah over to the hand of the Chaldeans, and the Jews were in captivity in Mesopotamia for 70 years. And they were also scattered around other parts of the Middle East as well. <clears throat> and eventually, many of them migrated elsewhere and uh, since then the Jews have been scattered to many parts of the world. I want to interject here in our list of apostasies the apostasy of the rulers of the Chaldean Empire because I think it's important to understand that not only the Israelites but also the Gentile nations were warned and key Gentile leaders were given specific testimony concerning God. God revealed himself to the leaders, the, the key leaders of the Gentile nations, not only to the Israelites. And it was under Nebuchadnezzar that the Chaldean or Neo-Babylonian Empire rose. In Daniel 2, in Daniel 2 and verse 1, it says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, and that word in this particular uh, context is a reference to the priests of their pagan religions. The Chaldeans are the priests to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, 
O king, live, to, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Now, these people that are spoken of here that said they could interpret the dream were the scholars, the religious leaders, the so-called wise men of Babylon. But they were unable to tell the king the dream. And so he began to carry out his threat to destroy these leaders and advisors. And we read in Daniel 2 and verse 13, Daniel 2 and verse 13, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel was also an advisor to the, to the king of Babylon and uh, he was... Uh, actually one of his key advisors. So he was included in those that were to be killed. So it goes on to say in verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So it goes on to relate that Daniel went to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who were also among the Jews who had been taken captive to Babylon and had become leading advisors to the king. And they sought deliverance from God, and God revealed to Daniel the dream and its interpretation. The dream involved a prophecy of a succession of Gentile kingdoms with global power and influence, actually beginning with the, <clears throat> the Neo-Babylonian kingdom. And these kingdoms would eventually be supplanted in the end by the kingdom of God that would rule the earth never to be destroyed. When Daniel made known to Nebuchadnezzar the dream and its interpretation, we pick up the story in verse 46. Verse 46, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering of incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Notice that King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the God of Daniel, the God of the Israelites, the God of creation, as the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And it goes on to say, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts, and he made him ruler of the whole province of Babylon, chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he sent, uh, set uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So through Daniel, God had made himself known to this Chaldean ruler, actually through a dream as well that he uh, evidently inspired in the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. In the next chapter of Daniel, we read about Nebuchadnezzar seeking to force Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship before a golden image. But they refused because they were faithful to God. And when they did so, Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into a furnace of fire. So in Daniel 3 and verse 23, Daniel 3 and verse 23, it says, These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then King, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? 
They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So here again was a powerful testimony to get to Nebuchadnezzar, which he acknowledged of the true God, the God of Israel, the God of creation. And he acknowledged that there was no other God who could deliver in such a manner. And yet, he did not truly humble himself before that God. In, da in Daniel chapter 4 is an account written by Nebuchadnezzar of another dream that he had. That dream also was interpreted by Daniel, and it concerned a judgment of God upon Nebuchadnezzar to humble him by causing him to, to become like a beast for seven years. And Daniel told him in verse 25 of Daniel 4, they shall drive you from men, for your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like an oxen. And they shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And this was the meaning of the dream. In verse 28, it tells us <clears throat> that all this came upon King, King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, 12 months after the dream, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by mighty, my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, and this chapter was written by Nebuchadnezzar. As far as I know, it's the only chapter in the Bible that was written by a Gentile king. But Nebuchadnezzar went on to say uh, that he lifted his eyes to heaven 
And he said, my understanding returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and ex excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. So God amply revealed himself to this ruler who was the head of the Neo-Chaldean Empire, the first of the four world-ruling, so to speak, Gentile kingdoms. In this series, it was revealed in the book of Daniel. Now, there's no doubt that King Nebuchadnezzar who knew who God was, knew who the true God is. And yet God, though he had made himself, uh, though God had made himself known to the rulers of the Chaldean Empire, they were not faithful to him, but they continued in their idolatry and their apostasies. And in Daniel 5, we are told of a great feast made by the king of the Babylonian Empire. Belshazzar was the king. He was a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And at this banquet, the gold and silver vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem were used. And it says, beginning with verse 4 of Daniel 5, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees buckled against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. So finally it goes on to tell us that Daniel was called and was asked to read the writing on the wall and interpret it. And then in verse 16, it says, Daniel 5, verse 16, uh, it says, the king was speaking to Daniel and he said, I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you, sh you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, 
he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, and uh, these terms, father and son, were uh, commonly used of, uh, of ancestors and descendants. It doesn't mean that he was the, uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the uh, actual father of uh, Belshazzar. He was his grandfather. But this is a term that was uh, used commonly of ancestors and descendants. So Belshazzar was the grandson, the descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel said to him, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Belshazzar knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew how God had revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel went on to say in verse 23, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. In other words, he had rebelled against God. He was an apostate, a rebel rebelling against God. And he knew. He knew who God was. Or he had no excuse not to know. And so it says, they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone which do not see or hear or know and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him and this writing was written and this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tackle you farson and this is the interpretation of each word. Many God has numbered your kingdom and finished it Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a pro proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So because of his apostasy, Belshazzar was slain and the kingdom was taken from the Chaldeans and given to the Medes and Persians. Sin is sin, whether one knows it is sin or not. But when one has knowledge and willfully sins, as Belshazzar did, God holds him to a higher standard of accountability. Jesus said in Luke 12, Luke 12, verse 47, Jesus said that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be bitten, beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone who, to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So God had revealed himself to these Gentile rulers. He had revealed himself to the, to the heads, the kings of the Babylonian kingdom. And yet, the rulers of the Chaldean Empire continued in their apostasy and worshipped idols. 
God also revealed himself to the next in the succession of powerful Gentile kingdoms of worldwide influence. After the Medes and Persians conquered the Chaldean Empire, Darius the Mede reigned in Babylon. He chose Daniel as a counselor, and when others in the kingdom became jealous of Daniel, they conspired to have him thrown into a lion's den. But God saved him from the mouths of the lions. And Darius, having, issue, having uh, witnessed this, issued a decree. As we read in Daniel 6, beginning in verse 25. Daniel 6, verse 25, Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So here is a Gentile king, the head of the most powerful kingdom on earth at the time, by far, and he acknowledged the God of heaven, the living God, and acknowledged that his kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed, that will endure forever. And he said, everyone in his kingdom was to worship this God. But they didn't. That the rulers of the succession of Gentile kingdoms prophesied of in Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7 knew of the true God. In due time, we'll see how the rulers of the Greek Empire that was to succeed that of the Medes and Persians and the rulers of Rome also had reason to know the true God, though they were not faithful to him. After the Medes and Persians had succeeded the Chaldean Empire, the Jews who had been taken into captivity were given the liberty to return to their homeland if they wished to do so. And some of them did, in fact, return to their homeland in Palestine. Under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and some other faithful leaders, the kingdom of Judah was restored and for a while, it appears many among the Jews remained faithful to God, at least to some degree. The Jews were permitted by the Persian rulers to practice their own religion and follow their own laws. So they lived in relative peace for a fairly substantial period of time. In 334 BC, Alexander, the Macedonian ruler of the Grecian Empire, set out on a series of conquests to the east. In a series of battles, Alexander defeated the Persian army and took control of Asia Minor and Syria and successfully laid siege to the city of Tyre and conquered it in 332 BC. <clears throat> and as you probably know, the city of Tyre is just uh, north of... Uh, of the territory of Israel that God gave to the uh, Israelites on the coast of the Mediterranean. And uh, Gaza is just to the south of Judah. And so Alexander conquered Tyre, laid siege to Gaza and took it, and then he turned toward Jerusalem. 
Jedua, the high priest, according to Josephus, had been warned and instructed in a dream how was he was to behave towards Alexander. And he was told that he was to adorn the city of Jerusalem, open its gates, and receive Alexander with other priests in their priestly garb. And the rest of the populace was to be dressed in white. So when Alexander approached the city, <clears throat> the people of Jerusalem and the priests went out to meet him in this garb. And it was expected by Alexander's lieutenants that he would be hostile toward the high priest and the Jews. Instead, however, Alexander greeted the high priest cordially and Josephus continues the account as follows. <clears throat> this is from the uh, Antiquities of the Jews, book 11, chapter 8, section 5. Here is uh, Josephus' account. He says, Parmenio, Parmenio was Alexander's general who was second in command. Parmenio alone went up to him, up to Alexander, and asked him how it came to pass that when all others adored him, he should adore the high priest of the Jews. To whom he replied, I did not adore him, but that God who has honored him with his high priesthood. For I saw that this I saw this very person in a dream, in this very habit. And when I was at Dios in Macedonia, who, when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, exhorted me to make no delay, but boldly to pass over the sea thither for that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians. Whence it is that, having seen no other in that habit, the habit meaning the clothing he was wearing, his priestly garb, having seen no other in that habit, and now seeing this person in it, and remembering that vision and the exhortation which I had in my dream, I believe that I bring this army under divine conduct and shall therewith conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians, and that all things will succeed according to what is in my own mind. And when he had said this to Parmenio and had given the high priest his right hand, the priest ran along by him and he came into the city. And when he went up to the temple, he offered sacrifice to God according to the high priest's direction and magnificently treated both the high priests and the priests. And when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, he supposed that himself was the person intended. And as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. But the next day he called them to him and bid them ask what favors they pleased of him, whereupon the high priest desired that they might enjoy the laws of their forefathers and might pay no tribute on the seventh year. He granted all that they desired. So here, the founder of the, the Greco-Macedonian Empire, the third of the four world-ruling empires of the book of Daniel, was made familiar with the true God, the God of Israel, the God who was the God worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem to whom Alexander himself offered sacrifice. And he was witness to as the book of Daniel was read to him, showing 
how his uh, his uh, army would be victorious over the armies of the Persian Empire. So he was witnessed to by God in a dream and in these other ways that we've described. But he never truly surrendered to God and became faithful to God, though God had revealed himself to him. As we will see another ruler of this empire later on said about blaspheming God and persecuting anyone faithful to the true God. And that ruler is called Antiochus Epiphanes. The name Antiochus Epiphanes means God manifest. Even the name of Antiochus Epiphanes is blasphemous. And Daniel 8 is a prophecy concerning the destruction and supplanting of the Persian Empire by the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. After the death of Alexander, the Greek Empire was to be divided among four rulers. One of the portions of that empire went to a man named Seleucus, one of Alexander's leading generals. The Seleucid Empire eventually extended from Eastern Europe across Asia Minor and Syria and the rest of the Middle East to the border of India. It was a vast empire and it encompassed Palestine. And this same prophecy in Daniel 8 tells of a ruler that was to arise in the Seleucid Empire. In Daniel 8 and verse 8, Daniel 8 and verse 8, it says, Therefore the male goat, and this is symbolic of the Grecian Empire, grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn, and this is symbolic of Alexander, was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, this is and symbolic of Antiochus Epiphanes, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. By the way, horns are often used in the book of Daniel and elsewhere as uh, symbols of kings or empires or kingdoms. And so it is here. And then in verse 10, it said, it grew up to the host of heaven and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one, He's speaking of angels that were re revealing a message to Daniel in a dream. And uh, the one speaking said, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation and the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will, shall be cleansed. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And this was an angelic being that he was seeing. And so the interpretation of the prophecy was given to Daniel by an angel. It goes on in verse 22 of Daniel 8. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. 
He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. Now, Josephus says that Antiochus Epiphanes, quoting from Wars of the Jews, chapter 1, or book 1, chapter 1, paragraph 1, uh, Josephus says that Antiochus put a stop to the constant practice of offering a daily sacrifice of expiation for three years and six months, or three and a half years. So, what is the meaning of the 2300 days of Daniel 8, where it said that uh, in verse 14 of Daniel 8, it said that uh, the question was asked, how long would the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of the boast, the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And it says 2,300 days. Notice it doesn't say just concerning the sacrifices being specifically interrupted, but other, um, other, other, um, events relating to this are mentioned here and so concerning the 2300 days Barnes notes on the Bible has the following statement which I believe is is a proper uh, is a proper way to understand this prophecy it says uh, quote it seems probable that the time mentioned in the passage before us is designed to take the whole series of, disaster of disastrous events from the first decisive act which led to the suspending of the daily sacrifice or the termination of the worship of God there to the time when the sanctuary was cleansed. We are then rather to look to the whole series of events as included within the 2,300 days than the period in which literally the daily sacrifice was forbidden by solemn statute. It was practically suspended and the worship of God interrupted during all that time. The conclusion of the period is marked and settled. This was the cleansing of the sanctuary this took place under Judas Maccabeus, December 25th, 165 B.C. In 171 B.C. began the series of events which finally resulted in the invasion and destruction of the city and in the cessation of the public worship of God. End of quote. So the 2300 days began in 171 B.C., and culminated near the end of 165 B.C. The insolence and rebellion displayed toward God by Antiochus Epiphanes and how many of the Jews joined in the apostasy is recorded in Maccabees, 1st and 2nd Maccabees. And I don't have time, I'm not going to take the time to read everything that is stated, but we will cover some of the highlights. And you can, uh, if you're interested in learning more about this in terms of the details, you can look in First and Second Maccabees, which, while they are not part of the Bible, are regarded as as a reliable history concerning the uh, events that we're discussing here. In 1 Maccabees, beginning in verse 20, 1 Maccabees in verse 20, it says, After that 
Antiochus had smitten Egypt, he returned again in the 143rd year and went up against Israel in Jerusalem with a great multitude and entered proudly into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar and the candlestick of light and all the vessels thereof and the table of the showbread and the pouring vessels and the vials and the censers of gold and the veil and the crown and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, all which he pulled off. He took also the silver and the gold and the precious vessels. He took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all away, he went into his own land, having made a great massacre and spoken very proudly. So in this uh, incident that is being described here, Antiochus took an army into Jerusalem and devastated the temple, robbed the temple of its precious things and killed a great many people. Goes on to say in verse 25, therefore there was a great mourning in Israel in every place where, there, where they were so that the princes and elders mourned, the virgins and young men were made feeble and the beauty of women was changed. Every bridegroom took up lamentation and she that sat in the marriage chamber was in heaviness. The land also was moved for the inhabitants thereof, and all the house of Jacob was covered with confusion. And after two years fully expired, the king sent his chief collector of tribute into the cities of Judah, who came into Jerusalem with a great multitude and spoke peaceably, uh, peaceable words to them. But all was deceit, for when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city and smote it very sore and destroyed much people of Israel. So this is two years after the previous event. And <clears throat> representatives of Antiochus Epiphanes came into the city and destroyed many of the people. And in verse 31, it says, when he had taken the spoils of the city, he set it on fire and pulled down the houses and walls thereof on every side. But the women and children took their captive and possessed the cattle. Then builded they the city of David with a great and strong wall and with mighty towers and made it a stronghold for them. And they put therein a sinful nation, wicked men, and fortified themselves therein. They stored it also with armor and victuals, and when they had gathered together the spoils of Jerusalem they laid them up there so they became a sore snare for it was a place to lie in wait against the sanctuary and an evil adversary to Israel thus they shed innocent blood on every side of the sanctuary and defiled it insomuch that the inhabitants of Jerusalem fled because of them whereupon the city was made inhabitation of strangers and became strange to those who were born in her, and her own children left her. Her sanctuary was laid waste like a wilderness. Her feasts were turned into mourning, her Sabbaths into reproach, her honor into contempt. As had been her glory, so was her dishonor increased, and her excellency was turned into mourning. Moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, and everyone should leave his laws. So all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. So what, what he's saying here is Antiochus demanded that everyone abandon his own culture and traditions and follow the rules of Antiochus. And so it says, the, the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. And then in verse 43, it says, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion and sacrificed unto idols. 
and profaned the Sabbath. For the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land, that is, the laws of, of Antiochus and the Greeks who worshipped idols that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the Sabbaths and festival days and pollute the sanctuary and holy people. Set up altars and groves and chapels of idols and sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts. That they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation to the end that they might forget the law, that is the law of God, and change all the ordinances. And whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said he should die. In the selfsame manner wrote he to his whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people, commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. Then many of the people were gathered to them to wit everyone that forsook the law. So they committed evils in the land. So many of the Jews at that time consented to the decrees of Antiochus Epiphanes to worship idols and to commit other abominations forsaking the laws of God. He goes on to say in verse 53, it says, they drove the Israelites into secret places, even wheresoever they could flee for succor. Now the 15th day of the month, Kislev, in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar and built idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side and burned incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they found, they burnt them with fire. So not only did they erect altars to idols all over the place, including various places in the city of Jerusalem and other cities, He went about destroying every copy of the, of the Bible that he could lay his hands on. And so they took the books of the law, written copies of the scriptures, and burnt them with fire after tearing them to pieces. And it says in verse 57, whoever was found with any book of the Testament, or if any committed to the law, the king's com commandment was that they should put him to death. Thus did they by their authority unto the Israelites every month to as many as were found in the cities. Now the five and twentieth day of the month they did sacrifice upon the idol altar. This would be the twenty-fifth uh, day of Kislev, perhaps. Kislev is... Uh, roughly corresponds to November, December. It is the ninth month of the, of the Hebrew calendar. It says the 25th day of the month, and we don't know if this is speaking of the uh, pagan calendar or the Hebrew calendar, but more than likely the Hebrew calendar. It says they sacrificed upon the idol altar, which was upon the altar of God. At which time, according to the commandment, they put to death certain women who had caused their children to be circumcised. And they hanged the infants about their necks and rifled their houses and slew them that had circumcised them. So here was the situation at this time in Judea. This heathen king who had raised himself against the God of Israel and set out to destroy the religion of the Jews, the worship of God, 
had slain a great many people, had uh, destroyed every book of the law that he could find, and had threatened the people with death if they sought to worship the true God, had killed many of them. And many of the Jews had, under the, the uh, threats that they were subjected to, had uh, turned to idol worship, become apostates against God. But it says in verse 62, Howbeit many in Israel were fully resolved and confirmed in themselves not to eat any unclean thing. So there, while there were many apostates among the Jews in this situation and at that time, there were also many who were faithful. And they were determined not to eat any unclean thing. Going on, it says, Wherefore the rather to die, that they might not be defiled with meats, and that they might not profane the holy covenant. So then they died. And there was very great wrath upon Israel. So while many of the Jews fell into rank apostasy under the influence and threats of the government of Antiochus, Epiphanes, many others refused and some paid with their lives. But many rallied to the Maccabees who resisted the decrees of the apostate king. And we read in Chapter 2 of 1 Maccabees, beginning with verse 1. 1 Maccabees 2 and verse 1. In those days arose Mattathias, the son of John, the son of Simeon, a priest of the sons of Jorib from Jerusalem and dwelt in Modin. And he had five sons, Joanan called Caddis, Simon called Thassi, Judas who was called Maccabeus, Eliezer called Averin and Jonathan, whose surname was Aphis or Aphis. So this was a priest and uh, named Mattathias with five sons. And uh, the king's officers came to Modin, where they dwelt to compel the people to offer heathen sacrifices. And so we pick up the story in verse 16 of 1 Maccabees 2. It says, Many of Israel came to them. Mattathias also and his sons came together. Then answered the king's officers and said to Mattathias, On this wise, you are a great ruler and honorable and great man in this city and strengthened with sons and brethren. Now therefore come thou first and fulfill the king's commandment, like as all the heathen have done, yes, and the men of Judah also, and such as remain at Jerusalem. So shall you and your house be in the number of the king's friends, and you and your children shall be honored with silver and gold and many rewards. Then Mattathias answered and spoke with a loud voice, and here's what he said. Though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him and fall away, every one from the religion of their fathers and give consent to his commandments, yet will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers. God forbid that we should forsake the law and the ordinances. We will not hearken to the king's words to go from our religion either on the right hand or the left. Now when he had left speaking these words, there came one of the Jews in the sight of all to sacrifice in the altar which was at Modin, according to the king's commandment. Which thing, when Mattathias saw, he was inflamed with zeal, and his reins trembled, neither could he forbear to show his anger 
according to judgment. Wherefore he ran and slew him upon the altar. Also the king's commissioner who compelled men to sacrifice, he killed at that time and the altar he pulled down. Thus dealt he zealously for the law of God as Phineas did to Zimri the son of Salam. The speaking of the incident in the, in the wilderness. And Mattathias cried throughout the city with a loud voice, saying, Whoever is zealous of the law and maintains the covenant, let him follow me. So he and his sons fled into the mountains and left all that ever they had in the city. Then many that sought after justice and judgment went down into the wilderness to dwell there, both they and their children and their wives and their cattle, because afflictions increased sore upon them. And so, as we read in the book, books of Maccabees, the heathen king rose in rebellion against God and persecuted the people of God. Many among the Jews joined in the apostasy, but others resisted, some even to death. And soon after Mattathias died, but his sons carried on the struggle and eventually were successful and overthrew the 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 the, the Greek army that was trying to suppress them, gain their freedom. But this episode. This entire episode is a type of similar events that will happen again at the end of this age, shortly before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And God's people at that time will face similar challenges. And if we are among that number, we're still alive at that time, we need to pray that God will give us the faith to stand firm in the face of greatest adversity. We read in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, it says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. 